This episode contains discussion of sexual violence and the stories of survivors. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone, my name is Aiden Kaplan. Welcome back to the American Agora podcast, Discoursed. Today, I don't have a guest, because over the past several months, I've been following the fight for the protection of survivors of sexual violence at American University. Back in November, many American University students were confronted by an email from the university confirming that a break-in and assault had happened on the 8th floor of Leonard Hall, an all-girls freshman floor. This event sparked public fury from the student body, as further information of the case was unreleased and student reports of AUPD mishandling the case spread. Within a week, student organizers had put together a walkout to protest American University's poor handling of sexual violence. You know, we've been wanting to do something big like this for a while. That was Lillian Frame. Along with Emily Minster and other student advocates, they organized a walkout that was attended by nearly 600 students in November. At this walkout, a list of five demands were revealed. They included things like a Survivor's Bill of Rights, requirements that the university contract survivor-centric training from a list of organizations, and that the Title IX website be updated on a monthly basis. Frame also emailed these demands to important campus officials, including President Sylvia Burwell and Provost Peter Starr. I also hand-delivered stacks of the letters to each person's office yes. because I was like, you guys, it was kind of like my Mean Girls Martin Luther moment. <laughs> um, I did not throw them and I did not nail them to any walls, but I like felt like it a little bit. The Office of Title IX, for those who don't know, is meant to be the primary resources, resource for students seeking justice against perpetrators of sexual violence. However, students feel that the Office of Title IX fails them at every turn. The Agora's own Kimberly Kraska wrote an article in November titled, Shocking Failure of Title IX at American University, detailing her horrific experience with the office. In an interview with Agora staff member Julia Camino, Emily Minster explained that the Title IX should not be the first resource students are directed to in the event of an assault. The first reaction is like sending students to Title IX, and I think sending students elsewhere um, is a really important step towards like changing the culture of like, how we respond to sexual violence. There are other organizations on campus that are considered to be better at actually supporting students through one of the most traumatic events of their lives. Organizations like Oasis, CASE, and Empower AU are generally considered better by students, but, according to Frame, are critically underfunded by the university. Empower AU in particular is interesting because it was formed in response to Faith Ferber's lawsuit against the university in 2016. Ferber filed suit due to the Title IX office's mishandling of their case, and they were a speaker at November's walkout. When I learned of Ferber's push for change seven years ago, I couldn't help but wonder what was different now, so I asked Frame. I can only hope that things are different, and I can only hope that in a few years someone won't be in that position again. Yeah. But they might be, and in that case, I hope I can be a touchstone for them. And Ferber's program did have to go through a working group a much maligned process that many students say is simply an administrative stall tactic. If you listen to the discoursed episode on AU's bathroom policy, you'll remember how AU Pride struggles for months with no actions or progress. Activists like Frame expressed an unwillingness to limit themselves to a working groups in November. However, eventually a working group was formed 
and has met three times as of this recording. I was present at the second working group meeting, where I heard a combination of staff members expressing concern while other participants explained why the Title IX situation was so awful. One meeting member said that the office was, quote, worse than you imagine, worse to the nth power than you can imagine. When another expressed that they would have less PTSD if they had never gone to the office of Title IX. Frame read off the, a list of what students don't think works for helping survivors at the meeting. This is a two-pager. Title IX, ignorant staff, admin, and faculty. Greek life, a singular incompetent consent training, limited psychological services, empty promises, and again and again and again, Title IX. This list was created at a people's working group organized by students the day before the official working group would meet. This working group included members from a variety of student organizations, including the Disabled Students Union and AU Pride. It also had activities like creating survivor love letters and writing what students felt worked and what didn't work for survivors. These groupings of what works and what doesn't were arranged in what works, what students want more of, and what doesn't work, a tongue-in-cheek reference to the Rosebud Thorn activity that students disdainfully remember from their AUX classes freshman year. Should add AUX classes that formerly had sexual assault training and no longer do. As Frame mentioned in her speech, administrative inaction and ignorance were cited several times as primary as a primary source of students' negative experiences. Here is Minster again, expounding on it. On a more interpersonal level, I think like administration doesn't seem to care so much. And they will, to your face, they'll say, like, we care about you. Like, they'll tell you differently. Um, but then, like, their actions don't really reflect that. Like, people are waiting months for a hearing or for their investigation to be completed. And that's time that people, like, don't have closure um, or don't have, like, the justice that they deserve. Um, and, like, they won't give people um, accommodations. Like, they're not willing to make it easy to change rooms or make it easy to like get incompletes in classes or extensions or whatever you might need so i think that like they'll say one thing to your face and then they'll prove themselves prove that they don't actually care as much as they say they do with how they respond like in practice and amna Assad, a resident of leonard hall's eighth floor and a speaker at the first walkout who said this of an administrative inaction as a student i can only do so much and we look up to the administration to make the change and like we will make the efforts that we can to help out but i can't do everything and so it would be nice to see the administration on our side and actually helping us out but that's just not the case after that second working group still no progress was made and frame made good on her promise to escalate student response if nothing changed this is what led to the second protest held outside of the school of international studies building Students gathered in red to show their support. The goal of the protest was to intercept administration officials and make certain that they saw things like the survivor love letters and heard the stories of the survivors that were speaking there. Each survivor shared both the terrible experiences of what happened to them as well as the ways in which the Office of Title IX failed them. Kraska mentioned in her article how she originally had a live hearing scheduled with the office, but that they canceled the hearing because she had, quote, disengaged from the process because she could not make the time they had assigned. Apparently, this was not a unique experience, as one speaker at the protest revealed that she was the only person to actually receive 
a live hearing in the past three years. The office sided with her assaulter because he was under the influence of alcohol and therefore could not be held responsible. These are the dystopian conditions survivors live under at this university. And it's not a problem that can be merely left to solve itself because the university seems to see no value in preventing this in the future. The bottom line is that there are things the administration can do right now to help the survivors. Accepting things like the Survivor's Bill of Rights is a great start. Students need to know their rights when dealing with the university organizations that regularly violate them. Students in Leonard Hall want to have doors on their showers, which at the moment just have curtains for privacy, and they aren't going to get any doors until this summer. And if it's going to take an average of 90 days to process a Title IX complaint, then there needs to be a way to provide survivors with protections during that process, so they do not need to make a choice between sacrificing their education or having to face their abuser on a daily basis. Administrative inaction is a huge part of the problem. But these problems are also cultural. As Frame puts it, Sexual violence does not happen in a vacuum. Our culture and society are so warped that it's ingrained in the fabric of our lives. We can change that. Have tough conversations in your communities, clubs, friend groups, and families about sexual violence. This understanding that policy and culture are intertwined is vital to fighting against sexual violence in all aspects of life. Challenging administration can help change policy, but working in your own social circles to keep people accountable is on you as well. If the culture changes, positive policies will be more effective. Because um, I think that when students see it, like, and it's not directly connected to them or their friend group, they're very much supportive of survivors and upset about sexual violence. But then when it's like their friends or people that they're close with or that they know really well, I don't see that same level of like outrage or upset. Um, and I think that we should be working towards that, like sort of at a cultural level. It's harder to confront people in real life than it is to attend protests or simply to say that you support or believe survivors. According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, or RAIN for short, almost one in six college students will be assaulted while at school. That means that the odds that someone you know is either a survivor or a perpetrator are astronomical. That's why it's integral that we support survivors and punish perpetrators. As I've already said, we cannot trust the university system as it currently is to hold perpetrators accountable. Because of that, it's our job as students to change the culture around sexual violence. I know the proposition of constantly standing against a culture that condemns survivors and protects perpetrators is daunting. Frame has been doing it since middle school, so let's hear what she has to say about it. In my work, a win is always coupled with loss and horror. Um, if there is a win, it is because someone's bodily autonomy was violated. So all wins still come with that level of temperness to it. You mm -hmm. know, I think of the walkout and how incredible of a feeling that was. And then I think what had to happen, mm -hmm. how many survivors came up to me after in tears because they finally felt seen on this campus. And as much of an incredible moment as that was, I can't pull the two apart about how much of a devastating day that was. This is what the work of advocates is like. 
and it's on us to make a culture that prevents assaults before they happen. Sexual violence can't be a fact of life. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. This has been Aiden Kaplan with Discoursed. Thank you.